Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRR. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Alex Gehring's understudy, John Ketchum. (laughs) I'm John Ketchum. So this is our second episode we are doing here at Recharge with no Alex Gehring, but with an amazing co-host. John, you are a past podcast guest. Uh, We had you on in November of 2020, mid-COVID, when we still were doing everything via Zoom. So we're Mm -hmm. excited to have you here with us today in person. And you talked a little bit about personal branding um, as an agent versus branding with your brokerage. Um, And I, I will be flat out honest. I do not remember the entire conversation because <laughs> well, well, we, we've done all these a lot. But John, you are a broker here in the Kansas City market. For those people who do not know you or do not remember you from being on the podcast before, tell us a little bit about your journey into real estate and where you are today in your business. Let's see. I started walking at the age. No. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, a short version was I was a mortgage officer and where I relate that to my agents now is it's really the same thing. Sales is sales, I think. And especially when you're on, on the mortgage side, it's usually lead generation, lead conversion, and then servicing. Um, and so it translated very well. But the reason that I got into real estate was because I was, I, I did everything. I, I didn't have that big of a COI, uh, when I went into mortgage and, um, I used to call on brokers and one of the brokers that I got in with ended up being a Remax, um, which is now the franchise brand that I own. But prior to that, I was calling another bigger, larger office that I really wanted to be an in-house lender in. And uh, I didn't get that opportunity. And then like a year later, maybe just because of my consistency, that owner said, hey, look, um, I don't have a succession plan. And uh, what would you think about coming in and kind of taking over and running the office and growing it? And so that was actually my first steps into the real estate side, uh, away from the mortgage side. Um, So that was 2013 and um, opened my first franchise uh, in 2016 with a couple partners. It failed miserably uh, its first year. And so by the end of that year, I bought my partners out. They wanted out and I wanted to put more focus in it. Um, and since then I've opened a second one and we've won some growth awards. Um, so I, I'm a broker owner, non-selling. And one of the things that you are very focused on as far as your office and the things that you provide and do for your agents is you are very technology focused. You are very forward focused. You're very forward thinking. As a matter of fact, I just connected you with someone the other day because I was like, you're a very forward thinker and you will at least listen to this opportunity where I know some other people wouldn't. Why is it so important for you to be so forward thinking? Well, I, I, I like that you said you changed it from technology focused to forward thinking. Uh, but I will say, yeah, I have always had an affinity for tech for whatever reason. I broke a lot of computers growing up um, and in doing so you learn a lot about them, but I've always had just this weird interest in it and, and ability, I guess, even with some stuff that, uh, you know, makes other people's eyes crossed. But I want to be very clear that, um, I only like, you know, innovations where they can be implemented in a way that facilitates time or money. And, um, so there are a lot of shiny objects in our industry and I think that there are too many. And those agents that get really frustrated with that, um, they really just shouldn't worry too much about it. Maybe hire somebody out. Uh, but, uh, but to answer your question more directly, 
a forward think, I mean, you have to innovate, um, you know, as the market adapts, I'm, I'm famous for championing, championing the phrase, the market cannot be an excuse for your success or your failure. And you really have to uh, say, okay, like for instance, uh, in the, in the mortgage crisis, uh, we'll be talking about recession here pretty soon, possibly. But in that, um, agents could still, in fact, some agents started their, you know, foray into major growth by learning how to do short sales and foreclosures. And so innovation and being forward thinking requires possibly adaptation. You possibly could get left behind. And as much as I can say that, I can also say the basics um, are really still work. Uh, but tech and and being innovative, I think, has made things a lot easier. Um, you know this, but you know everywhere right now, everybody's talking about Chat GPT. Mm-hmm. And if you re- you can you can just be scared of it. You can just be like, this is another trend. But if you really pay attention to it and then understand what it can do, I'm not exaggerating. Content, um, you know, bios, things like that can be done in seconds now. And if you can just look at it like, hey, what could I use this for and not stress about it? Right. Not, not how is this going to stress me out? What should I use, use it? What I, you know, you're freaking out about how you should be using it. But if you can just say, okay, what could this possibly do to make my time more efficient? Um, then I think that there are a lot of breadcrumbs in what's going on and, and new innovations. So that's a long answer for why I think being forward thinking is extremely important to me. It didn't feel like a long answer to me because I was following directly along with you. Um, One of the things that we were recently on a um, mastermind together, Mm -hmm. and you made an excellent observation that I have now shared with multiple people. And they're like, that's a great observation. And it's that you notice the agents are in one of two places right now. It's either that they're super busy or they have no business going on at all, and they're bored out of their minds. Talk to me a little bit about your observation and what you notice different about those two groups. Um, so there's a couple reasons for this, and this is unique, I think, within the last 12 months, and it's continued in this um, what we're seeing in the, already the spring market. Um, one, listing-focused agents tend to be very busy right now. Um, so if you've always carried a lot of listings, if that's been your focus, you're, you're probably kicking butt. Um, but two, the, the method for lead gen, you're going to hear me say a lot, lead gen, lead convert service, because that's how the business works. But if you're lead generating through algorithms that are buyer focused, and in particular, some of those paid advertising, um, those timelines a year ago, we found out those timelines uh, just, I, I don't I have real stats on how much longer it takes a buyer to get into a home. But those were new things we were seeing. So if you were heavily focused on buyers and algorithms that were generating buyers to you or lead gen that was generating buyers to you, you were looking at this money that was in your pipeline forever that may or may not close. And that's where agents really, I've seen more than ever, like prolific agents, prolific teams struggling um, if they weren't adapting. And the other piece to, uh, and I kind of mentioned this in the lead gen side, if it's buyer heavy, but especially through like, you know, Zillow, realtor.com ad spend, um, you know, you're at the mercy of that. If you don't change my agents that are really busy right now, all, almost all either have found an innovative way to get listings, um, through some new marketing or lead source. And one of those would be probably like 
uh, Google Screened is doing pretty well right now. It's kind of a newer thing. But most of them are referral marketers. And let's be honest, it's easier to get someone to say, yeah, you can show me homes um, that you don't know and that didn't come from a referral versus somebody who says, um, hey, you got to use Bobby to sell this house because there's a trust factor letting you come in, market my home. And so my agents that are really good referral marketers, a lot of the stuff that we heard Shay talk about today at Recharge, um, top of mind, they are crushing it right now. And one of them called me, uh, I think I might have told you this a couple weeks ago, with a like close to a breakdown because of how busy she is. Yeah. And so she's at a place where she needs scale, she needs, t- she needs time back, and so she needs people. But that is such a stark contrast with my agents that have been doing okay or even good that were last year handed them their butt Mm -hmm. and they, they have no, I, you know, they had no idea unless they were paying attention and adapting why that was. And I, I think I just said why it was. Right. So spoiler alert for our guest, he just made reference to Shehada. She is going to be our episode two weeks from now. And this is actually the third episode that we're recording here today at recharge. And the underlying theme between all three guests that we've had today um, and the next week's guest is that everybody's talked about the agents who are basing their business off purchasing leads and those online generations. Those are the agents who are struggling and the people who communicate with their database and are working to build that referral database to be super strong so that your business keeps going no matter what the market's doing. They're succeeding and doing really well. You just made a mention of your agent calling you that's super stressed out because she has too much business. But you also have the other end of the spectrum, those agents who are stressed out because they have the no business. For those agents who are struggling right now and don't even know where to start and they've come to a conference like Recharge and they have like 10 ideas, then they just don't even know where to start when they leave here. Where do you suggest they put their focus first? So... Consistent with what I just said, listings first, listings, 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 every listing you have in our market will sell. In fact, every listing in any market, if you're pricing it and, and exposing it properly, will sell. So that in broad spectrum listings. Um, but uh, if we just look at what efforts, what marketing, to, uh, most brokerages, most agents have access, especially with KCRR and MLS. Oh my gosh. Um, they've got, and that wasn't a shameless yeah. plug. Uh, it's true. There are so many options that are right there at their fingertips, even if they're with an independent brokerage that doesn't have a bunch of tech to stay top of mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you got to start with the belief that um, these people do want to hear from you. Um, and you're not going to do it in annoying ways. You're going to do it in helpful ways. Hey, uh, I got a list of contractors that um, I like to keep updated. Do you know any electricians, any plumbers, any you know uh, roofers that I can put on that list? That's a because if I'm one mm-hmm. as your referral partner, well, yeah, put me on that list. Could I add you to that list, right? But that's a helpful way. Or don't forget to uh, put crabgrass prevention on right now. If you're not doing it right now, you're already probably too late. Helpful things, right? But those things are top of mind. And if you embrace this idea that if you stay in flow with your possible referral partners um, in helpful, meaningful ways, do the client events, do the pop buys, things mm-hmm. that people love, uh, you know, actually love to get doted on, um, that it will work. So you have to start with that belief. But right now, what those agents that you're just talking about, those agents doing it today cannot expect results tomorrow. You're looking at probably 90 days minimum 
of the activities that you're doing right now. And I think that that timeline, again, if it's buyer focused, is going to be longer. Right. Uh, but you will see the fruits of those labor uh, of that labor over time. You do have to believe, and if you stay consistent, it absolutely will work. That's, and everybody can do that because guess what? We all have these little things that beep at us all the time and yeah. blink notifications. That phone is absolutely a tool that everybody has that can do it. Yeah. And what I absolutely love what you said about that is number one, you're setting the expectation. The business is not going to come immediately. So you need to believe and buy in and keep doing it. And the results will come with time. And the other part of that is the consistency part. And then I think, you know, I always tell everybody because people love to talk about farming neighborhoods. I live in the largest subdivision in St. Joe. It was built back in the 60s. So it's not brand new, but it's 624 homes. Uh-huh. And in the eight years I've lived in there, I've probably received flyers from probably 25, 30 realtors over that time. However, there's only one realtor that I've ever received a communication from more than Regular. once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And exactly. And, and farming, um, in data farming, it, it's even longer. So if we're looking at, and these are just things that, you know, I know cause I've, I've taught and we've studied it. Now you're talking about, um, you know, referral marketing, top of mind with people that already know you and like you, you know, 90 days, possibly to six months, farming minimum of 12 months. Yes. So I, you can't try farming. No. You can't, you can't just do it like three times. Now, the problem is we've had, I've seen this happen where an agent sends out one mailer and they get a listing opportunity or they get a listing from it. Those are that, that little asterisk under all the medical commercials. Yes. Results not typical, right? right. So yeah, having that expectation first, because if you go out thinking, well, I've heard so many agents, why well, I did, I just, I sent a mailer. Yeah. Uh. Sorry. Uh, Mailer, that's the problem with what you did. And just like you, it's always a minimum of 12 months. I always say prepare 12 to 18 months, set aside the budget for it. And if you can't do that, then don't do don't it. Don't even do it. Yeah. Nope. You're just throwing money at the wall. And and I say um, to exactly your point, um, who is in your mailbox? Yeah. And you only know the answer if they are consistent, right? And especially if these are people you don't know. Um, and most of the time for me, it's credit card offers. And I think I've got an insurance guy, right? Um, And there is not an agent who's consistently in my mailbox. The first time they get that piece of mail, they don't recognize who it is or what it is, and they throw it away. The second time, this might look familiar, they throw it away. Third time, okay, I kind of kind of recognize this. Right. Eight times, by the eighth time, now they kind of see there's this realtor, right? Right. But they still don't know who you You are. are. Yeah. Yeah. And so so logically, that's why it works that way, but... So now it's time to go get our podcast guest this week. We have with us today Selma Hep, and she is CoreLogic's chief economist. And we are super excited to talk about the housing market here in Kansas City and see what some of her predictions are. So let's go get her. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRER. We are so excited to be here today with CoreLogic's chief economist, Dr. Selma Hep. Welcome in, to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We love having you here in Kansas City. Um, give everybody a little bit about your background and how you became the chief economist for CoreLogic, because that sounds really exciting to me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know, my career... My career same. 
way that most of the careers uh, happen, which just means unplanned. <laughs> ah. um, started off um, at studying economics, um, and I was really interested in real estate because uh, first my dad in Croatia, I'm Croatian, my dad in Croatia had a construction company, my, my sister had a real estate company, um, and I just was fascinated by how cities work, you know, cities, sidewalks. I was always, I would always pay attention to what sidewalks look like uh, in, in the city that I would go to because, you know, it's an invitation basically to come, you know, and, and walk down our streets. Wow. So, I never uh, thought about it like that. I love cool, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, so, you know, so I got my, my uh, real estate license. I went, at one point was living in Florida. I got my, uh, keeps trying to say driver's license, but um, <laughs> uh, real estate license and, and, and worked as a realtor. And then, but I decided I was not really good at sales. So it's just not my thing. I, I'm better at data. So I decided to go back to a PhD to get my PhD in urban economics, which is basically that uh, thinking about how cities grow and develop. And, and out of that, I, um, I got a job um, as a special assistant at, at Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, but as I was working on my dissertation, uh, I was looking for a job because I had to pay bills. And, and I got a job with the National Association of Realtors. And that was my first job as an economist, as a housing economist. So I worked at NAR for a few years. I finished my PhD, and then I was trying to decide what to do. And I got an offer to go to California Association of Realtors. Um, um, and then I moved there to California from East Coast and, um, and you know, spent a few years there. And then I got a job as a chief economist at Trulia. That was my first chief economist job. Um, and it was very interesting because it was different. You know, audience at uh, NARCAR are realtors. Mm -hmm. Audience at Trulia are um, consumers, you know. And so that was an interesting transition for me. And then from there, I actually got a job with a company called Pacific Union, which was a Bay Area real estate brokerage that was at, at the time I'm still, I think, affiliated with Sotheby's, but, mm -hmm. you know, things happen, right? And, yep. and then ended up getting bought by Compass. And that's when I left and went to uh, CoreLogic and got a job as deputy chief economist. And, and that was three years ago. And now I'm a chief economist. <laughs> what a time to be a chief economist and <laughs> everything that's been going on. And I love all the depth of experience from state association, national association, working with some of our affiliate vendors that we have within it. Mm -hmm. um, talking about our economy here in Kansas City or even in the U.S., should we be preparing ourselves for a recession right now? Well, you know, <laughs> economists are always talking about recession. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, you know, I, I was just talking about this on the stage, too. It's just we have been anticipating a recession. This is most anticipated recession we've ever had. We've been talking about being in a recession since the beginning of last year. But we have, in fact, have not, we're not in a recession. In fact, GDP grew at about 2 plus percent rate in 2022. And even in the first quarter of this year, when we was almost for sure we were going to be uh, coming into recession, uh, we grew at over 1% uh, GDP. And so, uh, but things have changed, you know, things have changed in terms of the banking crisis, you know, most recently, uh, the impact on of uh, tightening mortgage, uh, sorry, uh, monetary tightening, mortgage obviously too, but monetary uh, tightening from Federal Reserve is now uh, uh, being seen more broadly in the economy. So, 
you know, while I would say uh, six months from now, again, I'll say that economists will always say six months from now. <laughs> it, it, it is in foreseeable pu- future. <laughs> uh, one question I do want to ask as a follow-up question within that is we have a lot of people talking about recessions. I don't know what a recession truly is. It's the definition of a recession so people can know what to look for. So recession, uh, there is actually a um, an, a formal uh, board that that decides when we are in a recession. But generally, when we see three consecutive quarters of economic contraction, so we are spending and buying and and just economically less engaged for three consecutive quarters, uh, that's when we are in a recession. Is that that reflect- GDP decline. That's exactly what GDP. I was going to say. Is it reflected in GDP? It's reflected okay. in GDP, yes. Okay. And 80% of GDP is actually consumer spending. So that's why sort of, you know, we are driving basically our economy and world economy to a large extent as well. So a couple things. One, I've got two takeaways from your bio. One, I really need a cool sidewalk analogy because that was awesome. (laughs) Two, you were a chief economist for Trulia, Zillow bought Trulia. I'm going to blame you for Zestimates then, right? Nope. No, I wasn't there then. Dang it. We thought we had her pinned down. Uh, Okay. So on a serious note, um, one thing that I think is an interesting question for an economist is, you know, I'm not. In fact, uh, economics was the class that I could not stay awake in in college. Um, so that that being said, mm-hmm. um, supply and demand seem to drive um, uh, our market here in Kansas City for sure. And we have a definite um, uh, overwhelming amount of demand for a limited supply. And so when we're hearing things nationally, recession, fine, but when we're hearing a housing crash, it just seems silly to me um, because we have uh, way more demand, even as interest rates have been higher, the demand is still there. And um, and I think Kansas City is unique. I don't know how much you know about Kansas City. We'd love to know if you do, what your thoughts are on Kansas City versus the nation. But uh, personally, I think it'd be interesting to hear from you, you know, from a recession standpoint, right? If we've got heavy, heavy demand and low supply, it, it, it couldn't be a housing burst, right? But what are some of the things that you do feel? So in, back in 2000, uh, you know, six, seven, I was in mortgage and those, you know, packaged bad loans, if you will, uh, drove that, that economic crash. We also had increasing, we had appreciation and a ton of supply, right? So it was obvious, but are there factors that you're willing to, to tell us here that you think could be a crash because I, and, or you can dispute, yes, it could be housing. I just don't see it as housing because right now we have an undersupply and an over demand, but is there another factor, student loan debt, something like that, that you as an economist say we should be paying attention to? Broad question. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and and you know, and sort of untangling this whole housing conversation is, it's it's tricky because there's so much to it, right? So l- where do I start? So. In terms of supply and demand, certainly we are in one of the most undersupplied markets ever that we've been in. When you look at for sale inventory, it's at the lowest that it's been historically. Mm -hmm. And it keeps trending lower as fewer and fewer sellers are willing to give up that low mortgage rate that they locked in. On the other hand, we have 
huge cohort of uh, first potential first-time home buyers or folks coming into that age, and that's really reflected in that pent-up demand that unleashes every time mortgage rates come down. So they jump in, and we've seen that in home sales activity the last couple of months. So the imbalance is there, and I don't see the supply uh, getting better Being anytime. Being able to catch up, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some markets, there is more supply, uh, but in all honesty, even the even in those markets that there's more supply, we've see, we haven't seen more home prices come down as yeah. much mm-hmm. because we have just as much uh, demand in those markets. So, so that's one side of the story. The other side is that, um, you know, how do we compare to last time? One is the inventory. The other one is understa- underwriting standards, which have been hugely different this time around. And as a result of last crisis, um, have been improved so yeah. much that all the folks that were underwritten in the last few years actually have stellar credits, have great jobs, have put down payments. You know, there's no that funny loan situation going on. Very few folks actually that didn't put any down payments. So even if mortgage rates, I keep talking about mortgage rates, um, home prices come down, they still have some equity, you know, yeah. and we are also at the levels, highest level of equity. So folks have that cushion that they didn't have last time around. Now, Home prices um, have come down from last year's peak, particularly as mortgage rates started surging. But it's it's a huge it's a hugely different story in in West Coast versus your market here right. versus South uh, Southeast South. Um, and so home prices are pretty stable here. You know they're stable. People are coming from the coast saying, "I'll take two for that price." In, right. in, in Overland Park, where you can buy, you know, f- four or five bedroom homes for half a million, and we think that that's a lot. Six hundred thousand now is kind of that price point on new construction right. minimum, but people are coming from the coast and they are mm-hmm. saying, and with like, somebody said that this, this morning as our, like basically as our world gets smaller, meaning as technology connects us more, we've got to, we've got to take a bigger impact. And we get calls from California of people saying, I want to move to Overland Park. How'd you find out about Overland Park? Oh, we saw it on one of those top 10 places to live because they can work from home. COVID right. changed that. Right. So yeah, I, that, that's what I was that's what we're experiencing as Kansas City is not in not um, impermeable to that outside effect, but we are pretty unique here because I still think, and I lived in California for a while, and I remember what I was paying for rent a long time ago, but yeah, we're still way under, I think we're still a really good deal mm-hmm. um, when you compare to national prices. No, absolutely. The only concern that I have with all of this uh, migration patterns is that, and we already see that in home prices in uh, Mountain West regions, mm-hmm. is you had that outflow of people from the West Coast. They, you know, beat up the prices super high. And now that they are not uh, migrating at the same rate, local folks can no longer afford mm-hmm. homes there. So home prices are falling. Down, yeah. um, so Idaho, Utah, this is one of the strongest uh, declining markets. So that's the concern, you know. It's it's you know, in in all, uh, in my old school days, you know, we refer to it as gentrification. This is not gentrification, but it's the same effect. Yeah. It leads right. to the same outcome, meaning that local residents can no longer afford homes. So so that's one concern. But like you said, I think uh, uh, one thing that is different to this time around is this mobility, ability to have mobility, um, move wherever you want. Uh, Now, you know, 
The concern is what happens when the recession, if we have a recession, and what if our employers say you got to come back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I think people, particularly in financial markets, are increasingly talking about that because they want people in the offices mm-hmm. because it's, you know, commercial. Now there's a concern around commercial real estate, particularly office spaces. There is concern about small businesses that supported that those commercial uh, activities, um, you know, downtown like delis and things like that. Um, so, you know, so what happens next, you know, and, and I don't have an answer to that, but, you know, I work from home. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm still in, lo- in, in California. I haven't moved though, despite <laughs> being able to. It's, uh, Southern or Northern California? I'm in LA. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm in LA. And, and so, you know, so just kind of speaking to, uh, I guess, you know, I, I can move anywhere I want to, but then you have also family ties you you yeah, maybe sure. have locked in a super low mortgage rate right. and bought before home yeah. prices you know and so um you know so the other thing i think the folks are struggling with is if they have low mortgage rate if they have paid out paid off a lot of their mortgage you know, moving now means that they have a mortgage payment again, unless they buy mm-hmm. cash, right? But, but you know, and you're thinking about how much on a, on a monthly basis you have to expense out for, for, for mortgage now. And that's a, it's a scary thought for some people. So you brought up mortgage rates. That's exactly where I was going. So thank you for doing that. As someone who just purchased a home in November with okay. a 7% interest rate well, you're and gave up her 3.2% interest rate that she got at the beginning of COVID, um, it was too good of a deal to pass up, quite frankly. What predictions do you have for mortgage rates? Where are they going? When are they going to get there? Any ideas? Yeah, mortgage rates, is it's uh, something, it, it's so un, un, unfulfilling to forecast because uh-huh. it's it's you're always wrong yep and but but by, by, by my best guesstimate and based on the data that's available mortgages have been coming down today's uh, uh, Freddie Mac uh, continued uh, 30 year continues to come down I think um, what we are seeing right now is the anticipation of recession is feeding into markets anticipation that Federal Reserve is going to loosen up sooner than they are willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they still are not willing to talk about uh, cutting rates before 2024. But, you know, so so there's, that's a separate conversation, but it's 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 impacting mortgage rates, right? Mar- financial markets are impacting mortgage rates, which are coming down. Um, generally, the f- expectation is for mortgage rates to continue to come down. We will see elevated volatility that we have seen because, for one, mortgage banking turmoil is still not over. Um, and the other thing, unfortunately, is because we have volatility, interest rate volatility, we have lack of investors in the mortgage market. Mm-hmm. So lack of MBS investors, meaning uh, less liquidity, and then mortgages cost more. So, you know, so even though treasuries are coming down more and, you know, that should pull mortgage rates down uh, more as well, you know, we have these other things that that are impacting mortgage rate, uh, mortgage rate spreads too. So, you know, best guesstimate is we're moving in downward direction. <laughs> See, that's, that's the scary part about Kansas City because our, I mean, you know, um, this is just me being, you know, boots on the ground and having a, having agents in my office that I'm regularly talking to. Our listings are the ones that are priced right and, and are not completely neglected, which is the vast majority are seeing 
the same, not maybe quite as crazy as this time last year, but they are seeing um, multiple offers, waived inspections, which as a broker, that makes me very nervous, right? Um, appraisal waivers, you know, modifications. And so if those rates go down uh, for Kansas City, I think we're going to, it, it'll just increase uh, even the frenzy that we're already seeing. And so that's not a bad problem because if you can focus on listings, like we were talking about earlier, you're great. But um, yeah, it's interesting how um, I'd love to see, I love to go uh, snowboarding in Breckenridge. I'd love to see that market change, right? Um, <laughs> because it, it is insane when I look at it. And I think that you had mentioned that on stage that some of those those second home markets have started to see definitely a decrease in sales, but not necessarily depreciation yet. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that right? Are the are, are they are we really starting to see actual depreciation? No, we are seeing some de- de- okay. depreciation in those markets. Um, you know, but again, it, it depends where what part of the country. So mm-hmm. you know, say, say California markets like Napa did really well. Uh, Sonoma, Napa, Lake Tahoe. You know, those are markets that are actually in, in top declining markets yeah. right, right now. So it depends where. And for second home, it does matter. Affordability does matter a little more because it is your second home. Right. You know, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not a necessity. It's it's mm-hmm. a luxury so item. They give almost. Up, yeah. Yeah. So um, so yeah, depends. So one of the things that I and I, I was recently on a plane and the people behind me were not realtors, but they were having they, they were strangers to each other, just getting to know each other. But they started talking about the housing market and they started talking about real estate prices. And they all basically said, we're waiting for the market to crash yeah. to go yeah. buy a house. My studying of past recessions is that housing prices have always increased during a recession other than 2008, which was the housing market caused the recession we have. For those people that are sitting on the fence waiting for the market to crash and all of these prices to come tumbling down to the ground, as an economist, do you have anything to say to those people? I would say good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's in, in all honesty, I mean, it, it is a serious thing because in some markets, you know, there is a, there is a a validated, valid concern for how far down do they go, mm-hmm. particularly these, you know, Bay Area, you know, is one of Washington State, Seattle, um, you know, that's where we've seen largest declines. And so they are wondering where that bottom is, right? Um, but overall, like you said, generally home prices have been increasing historically, except when we had these bubbles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, again, was not a bubble in the bubble sense of asset bubble, you know, especially compared to last time around or during the Great Recession. Um, but so, sorry, so I lost my train of thought uh, in terms of home prices. Uh, inventory, yes, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about inventory. You know, most undersupplied market that we've ever had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming against this huge population of people that want to buy and start their own households and start families and so on and so forth. So I don't see it. I, I don't know. I mean, there are overpriced markets. Mm-hmm. There will be a price correction. And then, you know, crash. What is a crash, right? I mean, last time around home prices fell 40 percent, mm-hmm. uh, peak to throth. We are now 3% big to the, and we are already rebounding. One thing, yeah, that I, I, I didn't mention on the stage too is that what's uh, two days ago we released our home price index for February, and after seven month, uh, months of consecutive monthly declines, we are back up. Yeah. 
uh, on a month-over-month basis in mm-hmm. February, and we are mo- and we are up by double the rate that we usually see between these two months. So we were up 0.8%. We're usually up 0.4% between two, two months. So, um, you know, mortgages came down January, mm-hmm. buyers jumped back in, and here you go. So I'm, I'm not sure where, where that crash is going to be and where and when and how. <laughs> well, that was the second part of my very long question earlier. Is, is there an indicator that you could comment on that's not related to housing that you think we should be concerned about? And I know that that is dangerous for an economist to say, well, you got to look out for the, again, the student loan. We, you know, as a non-economist, that's one you hear. That's going to be the next bubble, right? Student loan debt or whatever for, you know, is there anything that you think is at least interesting that, that, you know, you're paying attention to or we should be paying attention to that is not uh, related to, you know, right, housing? Right. Well, what could is, affect it, obviously? Yeah, one is, you know, obviously the banking crisis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, the way it may play out is that we may not see availability of loans, mortgage loans. You know, so if you can't get a loan or it would be, a loan becomes prohibitively more expensive, that's, you know, works in the same way as high mortgage rates. Um, but, um, you know, for me, I think unemployment um, and unemployment claims is one indicator that I follow closely in today's unemployment claims uh, showed a little spike, uh, which is not unexpected because we had a lot of layoffs, but it's now the first time that we are finally seeing that that loosening in the labor market. I don't know that student loan is really, you know, it was a concern, um, but it has yet to hold mark, housing market back mm-hmm. <laughs> in a significant way. Um, you know, I, I know there's been talk about delaying. So the mortgage, uh, the student loan payments have been delayed, and maybe and I there's I, some, been some forgiveness. But some not, forgiveness, yeah. right? Um, it just I haven't yet seen uh, enough to hold market back. Yeah. I mean, if really, when you look at the last few years and even pre-pandemic, I mean, we didn't really have issue with demand. Um, so, so not yet. That in itself, not an issue. Okay. You brought up stability earlier in the market that we have here in the Midwest. And that's something I said a long time ago, back when we had, you know, everything that happened in 2008 through 2010, was that here in the Midwest, specifically Kansas City, St. Joe, Missouri area, we were not nearly as affected by that crash or that bubble, because our prices were always very stable, only growing at about 3% per year while the coast were going crazy with 20, 40, you know, whatever percentage. Is there any silver lining as we head into this being here in the Midwest, being in Missouri and Kansas, compared to what the markets on the coast or other areas are experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the disadvantage of those markets is that they're very volatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and even when you look at where largest uh, declines were last time around, it was many of the same markets. Um, and so, except Florida, but <laughs> now we have a different <laughs> oh, situation. Florida. Yeah, oh, Florida, <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, the Florida really benefits this time around from immigration from from Northeast and, and, and New York and those, those areas. Uh, but to what extent that continues this question too. And then one thing that we do keep a very close eye on in um, ecologic is, is – um, is natural hazards, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have one really bad 
hurricane year in Florida, and I'll see how many people are going to be moving, continue to move to Florida. I used to live in Florida, yeah. too. And I moved after the year, after the Katrina year, because mm-hmm. it was just, it was not, it was, you know, I don't know how many that year, but it was the most active year in a very long time. Um, so, um, you know, and I didn't enjoy it at all. It was very scary. So, you know, that's a separate point. But um, I think that that is a benefit of some of, of the Midwest markets. Is it's, it's more stability. It's more um, gradual. There's not so much volatility. Um, it's not fueled by a lot of uh, speculative buying like some of the coasts are mm-hmm. or international or, you know. I understand we, we talked a little bit about investor activity or I heard, overheard, oh, it was one of the pan, uh, presentations about more investor activity. Investor activity has gone up everywhere and it's gone up particularly in um, more affordable markets but the difference in this time in terms of speculative uh, investor activity is that people are holding these properties they're not flipping them mm-hmm. which was that with what they did last time and they bought them the way they bought them last time was with these you know alternative mortgage products and now they're buying with cash or or you know more traditional mortgage products so 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 the 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 fallout if there is one is not definitely going to be the same but but i i'm very much in favor of markets that are just steady steady as it goes you know and and this is one of those markets so i so it's you know I love visiting the coast, but I love staying, living here, our low cost of living that we have and just the stability truly that we do have in this area. We appreciate, you know, water and nice weather, warm weather, you know, (laughs) when we travel because we don't get it all the time. We have a, what did you call it? Um, You caught it on stage uh, about the weather. Oh. Not bipolar, you said it was uh, fickle. Yeah, fickle, fickle like the housing market. That's right. Yep. Yeah, we get all four seasons sometime in the same day. Out, right? Yes, it's, yeah. we have to do very a very fickle weather. It's funny you brought up hurricanes and being scary. Is we were in Orlando um, in November for the annual convention, and there was a hurricane coming through. And even though we're in Orlando in the center of the state, all of us Midwesterns are like, we need to go to the Target and stock up. We don't know how to act with a hurricane, and it ended up being like a thunderstorm we have in the summer. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are coming towards the end of our time and we want to be respectful of your time. The very last question I ask all of my podcast guests is what else? What else should we have asked you? What else do you want our listeners to know? What else do you want to share with people about anything? About anything. <laughs> <laughs> we just open it wide up. More well, let me tell up. you. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think we covered mostly most of the you know things that we've been thinking about in the housing market. Um, I think one thing I was going to mention when you brought up uh, the Midwest markets and, and what's ahead, you know, there was an interesting presentation I recently saw a, a, about job opportunities going forward, particularly in light of this um, focus on um, uh, energy efficiency, you know, mm-hmm. electrical electric vehicles and things like that. And I, and I saw um, forecasts for job growth uh, for these type of jobs, like in in um, EV factories or or um, sorry, I'm, I'm not coming up with the right no, names right now. But anything related to these alternative energy sectors that we are trying to focus so much on, and a lot of the, these jobs are going to be created in this Midwest region, uh, which I think really bodes well for the economy going forward. You know, because some of the other economies 
are more volatile because of the types of jobs that they have or the industries, you know, go, let's see what is happening in tech markets, you know, even in tech markets that are not on the West Coast, like Austin, mm-hmm. Nashville, you know, they've suffered because of the uh, the volatility in those in, in tech sector. But, um, you know, having more diversified economy and having jobs coming in is always good, you know, for, for the local economy. So I, I think that that was really encouraging to me to see that. That, the, the, those the, those forecasts for uh, for one we'll have more electric vehicles, but for the other is that the jobs are going to be created in the U.S. and, and in these um, Midwest markets. Awesome. I heard something like that the other day about Kansas City that we're not so you know um, affected by one major sector like you know Silicon Valley would be tech, right? Um, we have a lot of different industry that does uh supply jobs around here and you're exactly right uh, maybe you knew this or maybe you didn't but we um DeSoto which is not too far from here landed a Panasonic battery plant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they 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 think 3000 jobs or something from yep. from that yep. but you know we've got corporate headquarters here we've got uh we do have um rail uh, but we're not. We're very diversified, and I think that that it, that adds to the strength mm-hmm. of what of if something took a hit, it doesn't just you know, it, it doesn't um, have as broad of a of a spectrum for Kansas City. So yeah, yeah. and I'm okay being the flyover zone. I'm okay with all the people on the yep. coast thinking there's nothing going <laughs> on right. here, and we're just keeping <laughs> our little secret safe amongst ourselves. Dr. Selma Hep, thank you so much for being our guest here today. John Ketchum, thank you so much for being my amazing podcast co-host with me here today. Um, again, we do wish Alex Gehring well and that he gets all better and he can be back with us. Um, he won't be on the next episode, but the next one after that, he will be there. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.